0: i so pumped just by that video, so I'm sorry if I start like crazy now because of that. But the truth is I'm so excited for this morning because I've got this, this message that has been like simmering in my head since like Christmas and then all over that period when I'm supposed to not be thinking about it, uh, and then January. And today I want to prepare you for what I believe God wants to do in you and to you and through you in 2017, because this is going to be a good year. Who believes this is going to be a good year? Yes. Today, I'm going to jump straight into the Bible. We're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Most of you know Joseph, if not through the Bible, then through some wonderful camp musicals. And uh, I'm not going to do any singing, so sorry if I disappoint you. Uh, or if I encourage you by not singing, either way, um, we're going to look at Joseph and Joseph is a long story. So what I'm going to try and do is I'm going I'm to dip in and out of the Bible. I'm going to summarize some bits, but I'd love to encourage you this week to go back and read the story. And I think it's one of those stories that often we know so well, it doesn't surprise us anymore. It doesn't shock us. It's just a story that we know what's going to happen. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you know the story like I do, to try and come at it fresh. To try and forget, to, like, like you do with that stuff that your wife tells you you need to do. Just let it go. Let it disappear from your head. And, um, and, and let's experience this story as if it's the first time we've ever read it. And so we're going to jump straight to Genesis chapter 37. If you've got a Bible, you can go straight there. If not, I've put it all on the screen because I'm going to be jumping around a little bit to make it easier for everybody. Uh, So this is Genesis 37, verses 2 to 4, and it says, This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Bilhah and Zilpah, great names. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So Joseph is one of 12 brothers and not only that, his dad makes it well known that he loves Joseph the best. And I think that this completely shapes his life. I'm one of five brothers, and and my dad loved me the best. So (laughs) uh, I know a little bit like what it felt like. And and Joseph, like, he didn't really wear this very well. He he knew that he was special. He knew that he was better. And he let everybody know it. And we know people like this, don't we? We all don't look at them. (laughs) We know people. And you know the people who you're scared that God will give you a word for them? Because they'll be wearing that so loud and proud. I don't need to do administration. I'm a child of God. I'm not picking up that rubbish. I'm blessed. I'm stronger. I'm better. I'm settled. It's like they just, they just, they're blessed. Yeah, but they wear it so badly. And this is, this is Joseph. And then it gets worse because God gives him this dream. And in this dream, he's better than his brothers. And he tells them. And then he gets a second dream. And in this dream, he's not only better than his brothers, he's better than his whole family. And even that dad starts to get a little bit concerned about dear Joseph. That he either didn't have the, the maturity or the wisdom to realize that he was, he was not handling himself well at all. And so his brothers, they turn against him. And they take him and they, they sell him. And he's trafficked into slavery, and he begins to work for a guy called Potiphar. Uh, And in this house, he he devotes himself and he does everything he can, but it goes from bad to worse, and he ends up getting thrown in prison. That, that, That dream that he'd expected, instead of coming closer, it ends up going in the opposite direction. He just goes from bad to worse to even worse until he hits rock bottom. And this is, this is how he describes his journey. In um, chapter 40, verse 15, he says, I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where your dreams just seem so far away? Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. But promises realized are a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Deferred means postponed or, or delayed. Do you have dreams that feel delayed, that you're still waiting for? Now, As we enter 2017, are there things in your life that maybe you thought would have happened already, but you're not there yet? They've not come about. You're not, you're not where you thought you would be at this point. Maybe you're single and you're still waiting for that special person. Maybe you're married and you thought your relationship would look different right now. Maybe there's, there's other relationships and you thought it would be different. Are there hurts? Are there pains? And, and you'd hoped that you would have been healed by now. But the, real, the reality is you're not. It's your life feeling further away from where it was supposed to be. This year is supposed to be the year of acceleration. And I can guarantee that there are people who, when we've said that this is going to be a year of breakthrough, you've thought, oh, I've heard that before. You know, I've raised my hopes before, and it didn't happen. And that hurts. Maybe you've even said those words, I'm not going to get my hopes up this year. Because let's be honest, when you hope for something and it doesn't happen, it's not just painful. It leads you to a dark place, and you can start to feel hopeless. And when you feel hopeless, you begin to do crazy things. And the the worst thing about disappointment isn't just the pain that you feel right then in that moment, Is that it affects every decision you make after that. Think about the young boy who finds that perfect girl who's just absolutely amazing and he goes along to her and he asks her out and she's like, no way. I'm not gonna date with you. And that's painful. But what happens next is the boy goes to somebody else and he lowers his expectations and he lowers his standards and he settles for less. And that's what disappointment does for us. It makes us settle for less. It makes us not bring up our hope. But the thing is, the gospel of Jesus, the gospel in the Bible, is a gospel of hope. And hope has power. In the Bible, there's this early Christian missionary called Paul. And he says, hope is like an anchor for my soul. It's not this surface level thing. It's a deep thing. That in the storms of life, it's hope that keeps us grounded, that keeps us from going off into different directions. He then goes on in Romans 24. He says this. Hopefully it's on the screen as well. But he says, "Hope For this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we can wait for it patiently. If we can hope for those things that haven't come about, hope allows us to wait patiently. Patience is the hallmark of hope hope is powerful i sometimes say i'm a forest fan i hope forest get promoted this season i hope forest will sack their manager and we'll win a game and i don't really mean i hope what i mean is it'd be nice it'd be nice if we could win a game it'd be nice if we weren't two points off relegation in the championship that'd be nice but hope in the bible is something different it's it's not optimism you know, hope isn't wishful thinking. There's nothing wrong with optimism. It's better than pessimism, right? But, but that's not hope. Hope isn't psychology. Hope is theology. Hope is the belief that even though it doesn't look like it, whatever you see right now, that God is still working behind the scenes. Does anybody want some hope in 2017? Joseph. He has just gone all the wrong direction. He is in prison. And yet he can have hope. Because even though it doesn't look like it to anybody else, he believes that God is working even when he can't see it. And I want to tell you this year that hope is going to transform your entire experience of 2017. Even if, get this, even if you never get what you're hoping for, Even if that dream is not fulfilled, even if the breakthrough never happens, it is still better to live with hope. I'm going to give you three reasons today. I'm going to give you three aspects of hope, three things that hope does for your life. And I believe these are going to encourage you because they've super encouraged me over the last few weeks as I've been praying about them and thinking about them. And these are three things that I see in Joseph and I just believe that they're really powerful. So I'm going to jump straight in with with how hope transforms your life. And the first thing that hope does is hope changes your perspective. Hope changes your perspective. Joseph is in prison, but he looks at it differently to anybody else. There's There's this prophet in the Old Testament called Zechariah. And he's one of the minor prophets they're called. And he was around this time when the nation of Israel had gone into slavery. They'd been taken away from their land. They'd been been imprisoned, some of them. They were working for other people. And they were probably feeling similarly to how Joseph was at this time. And Zechariah has this incredible word for the nation. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verses 11 to 12. It says this. It says, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free you prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I love it. He says, I'm going to give you double for your trouble. That's fun, isn't it? Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I will announce that I will bring twice as much to you. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Zechariah, that is a good word. You prisoners of hope. Joseph can choose. He can be a prisoner of his situation or he can be a prisoner of hope. He can be a prisoner to his circumstances or he can be a prisoner of hope. I want to be a prisoner of hope. You know, Too often I don't feel like I am. I feel like I'm chained to my circumstance. I feel like I'm enslaved to my habits. I I feel like I'm controlled by everything externally and everything around me. But Zechariah is saying, lift your gaze higher, Israel. Look further. If God could do it before, he can do it again. Just like Lynn was saying, God is the God of miracles and he can do it for you today. You don't have to be a prisoner of despair. You can be a prisoner of hope. You can be chained to a living God who wants to transform your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I heard this story by this imam who met Jesus. And he was saying that he met Jesus and it changed everything. Everything. And so he began to tell all of his friends and neighbors. And he lived in this fundamentalist Middle Eastern country where, where to convert was like life and death. And so he was telling them, all, I've met Jesus. And it changed everything. And at first they thought, this guy's crazy. Like literally he must have some psychological problems. And after a few months he wasn't getting better. And so they said, look, look you've got to leave. You've got to go. You're not welcome here anymore. We can't have you. Uh, and he left, and, and everywhere he went, people had heard about him. And he told stories about how they threw bricks at him, how they threw sticks at him, how, how they threw rocks at him, how they beat him, how they left him for dead. He told a story about how they tried to set him on fire. And do you know how he described this time of his life? He said, that was my honeymoon with Jesus. Hope changes your perspective. Why would he think that? Because he chose not to be a prisoner of his situation. He chose not to be a prisoner of his circumstances. He chose to be a prisoner of hope. Hope changes your vision. Point number two. Hope gets ready. Hope is going to get ready. If you're anticipating something, you're going to prepare for that thing. Hope transforms the way that you prepare for what's coming up. Imagine a farmer. A farmer has all of these seeds. And when a farmer plants the seeds, he doesn't mourn for the seeds that he's planting. Instead, that farmer, he plants the seeds and he starts to prepare. He starts to water the seeds that he's planted. He starts to, to get his tools ready. He starts to get his people together. And he starts to prepare for those seeds to sprout because he believes that a harvest is coming. And so he gets ready. Or think about a pregnant woman. When you're pregnant, you do this thing called nesting. How many women did like some serious nesting when they were pregnant? Yeah, Maybe you did it. Or maybe you made your husband do it for you, but it all counts. <laughs> and what happens is, is you find yourself expecting a baby. And so you start to prepare the house. You start kicking your husband, telling him to paint the room. You, you buy cots. You, you get cushions which are unnecessary. You, you find every gadget you can imagine. And, and you transform your entire living space. You bring in bright colors. You make it perfect for that new life. You buy buggies that are like ridiculously extortionate for no reason. It's just wheels and a chair. You you, you get everything ready, right? Because when that baby comes, you want everything to be in place. And if you knew a mother who was expecting and she'd got nothing ready when she had that baby, you'd you'd be a bit confused. You might even say to her like, why have, you not, why have you not prepared? Why have you not got some stuff in place? If you knew a farmer that planted seeds everywhere, but he didn't have a team who were going to bring that harvest in, he didn't have the tools ready, he didn't have everything in place, you would ask him, like, what are you doing? Did you not really believe that a harvest was coming? And yet, with our dreams, with our promises, with our hopes, how often do we not prepare in that way? see, Joseph is in prison, but he looks at it completely differently because he believes God is going to do something. He believes God is working, and so in prison, he stands out. He excels. He works harder than anybody else. He gives even more, and they promote him, and they make him in charge of the entire prison because for him, waiting isn't waiting. Waiting is anticipating his eyes are open and he's looking forward for what God is going to be doing in that prison, in that situation. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, what if I do that? What if I start to prepare and the hope doesn't come? What if I put in the work and God doesn't move? My dreams aren't fulfilled. Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather be prepared and your dreams not happen or have your dreams come and completely miss them because you weren't ready. I'd rather be ready. If your dreams were fulfilled today, would you be ready? And you know, some of you are like, I'm dreaming that God's gonna give me my soulmate, that God's gonna bring my partner. Are you ready to meet that person? I mean, like, do you even have a job for yourself right now? Some people are like, I'm praying for that promotion. Are you ready to be promoted? Is the action and the activity and the attitude that you are showing right here in this job where you are at, does that show that you're ready to go to another level? Because a lot of people I hear who want to be promoted, they're not living it where they are. What are you anticipating? Because anticipation always leads to preparation. So hope, it changes your perspective. Hope it gets you ready. And number three: hope changes generations. Hope changes generations. There's this incredible passage in a letter called Hebrews. It's, it's, it's written by the same guy Paul that I was talking about earlier. And in this letter, he talks about all of the like, the biggest names of our faith. He, he talks about our forefathers and, and people who God had given massive promises to. God had given these huge dreams to these people. And at the end of this, he, he says this really perplexing thing. He, he says this really difficult verse. It's Hebrews chapter, I've forgotten, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11, thank you for saving me by putting that on the screen behind me making it look flawless. he says this, he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the dreams that they hoped for. And it finishes with this perfection verse, because I'm reading my notes, not the verse. It says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that they promised. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. Can you imagine that? All these people did not see their dreams fulfilled. It's like they waved to their promises from afar. Abraham, he was promised this this entire nation. He was promised that he would have lands as far as he could see. And by the time he died, what did he have? He had a son. He didn't see that promise fulfilled. And yet if you follow his lineage, if you follow his sons' sons and his sons' sons' sons and you keep on going, you get to this guy called Jesse and Jesse has a son and his son is called David and David is made the king of Israel. David is the greatest king Israel had ever seen. And then you follow David's sons and they go from generation to generation to generation and they get to a guy called Joseph. And Joseph marries this lady called Mary. And her son is called Jesus. And Jesus is the hope of this world. Did he see that promise fulfilled? You better believe that he did. That promise was fulfilled so much greater than he could have possibly imagined. That promise was fulfilled in every single one of us sitting here today. But he had to wave at it from a distance. When we follow Joseph's story, there's a suddenly that happens. There's a change that comes about. He's in prison and and he's trying to be prepared. He's trying to do everything that he can in that moment to be ready for when God breaks in. And all of a sudden the time comes, he gets a call from Pharaoh and Pharaoh has a dream and he doesn't understand the dream. And he says, Joseph, will you interpret it for me? So Joseph does and he explains everything that the dream was about. And Pharaoh is blown away. He says, no one has been able to explain this dream for me before. Uh, Genesis 41, verse 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the spirit of God? And what he really means in that sentence is, can we find anybody who's better prepared? Anybody who's more ready? Ready? Anybody who's more capable than this man right in front of me. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God had revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. So you will be in charge of my court. And all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Wow. What a turn of situations. From going everything in the wrong direction, from everybody working against the plans of God, to all of a sudden you're in charge of an entire nation. And it's easy, I think, for us to read this story and to look at this moment And to completely miss the point. Because we look and we think, wow, God's promise to Joseph was fulfilled. And we think it was all about Joseph. And it was all about his relationship with God. But I want to tell you that God fulfilled that promise not for Joseph. But for the entire nation of Egypt. I want to tell you that God fulfilled that promise not just for Joseph. But for his children and grandchildren who go through the same thing. You see, Joseph... He was a brother who was sold into slavery by people he trusted. And then he spent 13 years in prison. 13 years. Some of us, we're like, we, we had a promise two weeks ago and we're like, Lord, I'm deferred. It's too long. You're not deferred. You're not deferred. You just need to learn some hope and some patience. Joseph had 13 years in prison with nothing. And then suddenly, God steps in. And he rises Joseph up into a place of influence to an entire nation where he saves them from famine and drought. And he transforms that entire nation. And that's wonderful. But then his great-great-great-grandchildren, they find themselves in a situation in Egypt where the Egyptians turn. And people they trust enslave them. And they start working them. And there must have been a moment as this entire nation of Israel are now enslaved, just like Joseph was, when they felt hopeless. When they felt like, how is this fulfilling the promises for our nation? When is God going to come? And I wonder if they looked back at Joseph and they looked at his story and they saw God suddenly move. And whether that gave them the hope to cry out to God. But that gave them the belief that God could be working even when they couldn't see it. And that God heard those prayers and he sent another man called Moses. And Moses came and in a dramatic, miraculous, incredible fashion, he saves the entire nation of Israel. And he takes them out from Egypt and he gives them a land and he says to them, you are going to be not just an influence to yourself, Israel, you're a nation that will influence the world. That, that salvation, that emancipation wasn't even just for Israel. It was so that they could be in a place where they could help everybody else. And then you look at that nation. And you look at it coming time and time again. And we find ourselves in the Bible and it, pour, it paints this picture of a world where we struggle. A world where we find ourselves enslaved. Where we have these habits, we have these hurts, we have these hang-ups, and we can't stop them. We can't find freedom. We find ourselves in this world where we chase after things that we think are going to fill us, things that are going to make us feel satisfied, and yet they don't. And we run in circles, and, and we try and work out what it is, and we chase after salary, we chase after status, we chase after sex, we chase after significance, and we find it lacking every single time. And what we can do is we can look back at Moses and we can look back at Joseph and we can think, wow, if God saved them suddenly, maybe he can save us suddenly. Because there's another suddenly in the Bible. It's the suddenly of Jesus. When Jesus came and he set every single captive free, that anybody who calls on his name would be free, that we could be raised up to a position of influence where we can transform the world around us, where we don't have to live like slaves, where we don't have to live like prisoners. But we have to realize it's not even for ourselves. So Joseph's story, it has this avalanche effect throughout the Bible. And we see it in Moses and we see it in Jesus and we see it in ourselves. So really, I think my question for you is this, is that if God was to answer your prayer, if God was to fulfill your dreams, Would it change the world, or would it only change you? Our God is the God of generations. Even if you never see the fruit, I believe that God is working, and that He is gonna impact the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. I'm gonna look to eternity. I wanna make an impact that's bigger than my life. I wanna look wider. I want to look bigger. We're not a church who just wants to bless our generation. We want to see our kids. We want to see our grandkids grow up understanding this faith, lying it all down for Jesus, saying, I'm willing to sacrifice anything for this gospel, which has changed everything. We want our great, great, great grandkids to understand this hope. This hope that is Jesus. This hope that has a name and that changes everything. What if the promises that God has given you, they're not just for you. They're not just to you. They're through you. And he wants you to give them away. You see, hope changes your perspective. Hope, it gets you ready And hope changes generation after generation after generation. I started with Proverbs. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I felt like that sometimes, like my heart is sick. But I'll tell you something. I have misunderstood this verse for years and years. And I think you have as well. Because when I read hope deferred makes the heart sick, what what I actually put in place of hope is promises. My promises deferred make my heart sick. My expectations deferred make my heart sick. The realization of what I wanted to come deferred makes my heart sick. But that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says hope deferred makes my heart sick. You see, hope has nothing to do with the outcome. It is a position of faith in the moment that says, whatever's happening, whatever I can see right now, I believe that God is working behind the scenes. And so I'm going to get ready. I'm going to be a prisoner of hope rather than a prisoner of my situations. I'm not going to look at what's happening around me. I'm not going to be confined to the small rooms that I'm placed in, but I'm going to look bigger. I'm going to get myself prepared. I'm going to get ready because I believe that God is going to do some suddenlies this year. I'll tell you what, even if I don't see that suddenly in my life, even if I don't see it lived out in the way that I want to, I trust that God is working. I trust that God has done it before and He's going to do it again. And I trust that even if it's not for me, that it's for my kids, it's for my grandkids, even if it's not to me, but it's through me, that I'm going to be ready. And so that's why I love that video we started with, because nothing can hold you back. Except you. When you have hope, nothing can hold you back. Because with Jesus, you are stronger. You are better. You are settled. You are ready. And you can go out and you can be a transformer of your work. You can be a transformer of your neighbourhood. You can be a transformer of the world around you because Christ is in you. And when we're chained to Christ, everything should change. Does anybody else want to have some hope for 2017? Hope isn't wishful thinking. It's theology. It's all about Jesus. And so before I run out of time today, I want to speak to some people here today that maybe don't have that hope, that hope that has a name Jesus, that that maybe you're here today and you, you don't know him and the truth is none of this makes sense without Him and maybe you even feel a little bit like some of that stuff that I was talking about earlier maybe you feel hopeless or maybe you feel like your circumstances control you Jesus came and He says I came that you would have life and life to the full maybe you just feel like you're going through life you don't have this vibrancy maybe you feel like You don't even know what's coming ahead and it's all just out of control. I can only talk from my own personal experiences. I can only talk from my own personal relationships. And when I talk about Jesus and I talk about life changing, I'm talking about my personal experience. I'm talking about the time when Jesus came for me. And when I had to make a decision, I had to say, Am I going to choose to just go for it with what I have? Or am I going to choose a different kind of life? And for me, that changed like, it changed everything. You know, there's so long I thought the church was teacups and cardigans, and it had nothing to do with anything I'd be interested in. And then I met Jesus. I like that Imam. I was like, it's just changed everything. I can't look at the world the same way anymore. And I wanna give you a chance if you're here today and you don't know Jesus to say, I want hope. I wanna choose Jesus. I wanna to choose to follow him. So I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna simply count down from three to one. And, and I'm gonna ask everybody to please just close your eyes and bow your head. This should be a decision that everyone makes personally. It's not about anybody around you. I'm going to count from three to one. And if you want to say, today's a day I want to choose to follow Jesus. Today's a day I want to choose hope. Today's a day I want everything to change. I'm going to ask you to stick your hand up really, really high in a moment. And there's going to be some people who come around with some books, a gift for you. And we're going to pray for you. And so I'm going to count down three. Know that God loves you. Two, Jesus died for you so that you could experience the type of hope that we're talking about today. One, if you want to become a follower of Jesus today, wherever you are, just raise your hand with me right now. Praise God. Anybody else? You keep your hand nice and high and people are going to come round. they have got a gift for you. They'd love to pray with you. I just want to pray. I want to pray specifically for those people today who raised their hands. I want to pray that today will be a suddenly for them, that today will be a day when everything changed and it's not because of them, it's because of you. That that whatever their situation has been, whatever their life has been, whatever 2016 had for them, that 2017 will be completely different because they have hope that, God, you are working even now on their behalf. And so God, as they go into this week, I just declare that they're no longer going to be reactive, they're going to be proactive. That they're going to be shaping the world around them through your Holy Spirit, through you working in them. God, I pray for your hope, for your passion and your power in their lives.